Hello, everyone. Welcome to the locally famous Did That Make Air. This is episode six. I actually have to remind myself of that because I almost listed the wrong number last week. Uh-oh. <laughs> Joined by Ed Barnes, I'm Brian Wilmer. And uh, yeah, that's that's always a bad thing because for those of you who are listening to the program, you know that our other program, Sports Matters, we didn't number. We've been doing it for, what, God, eight years now? And uh, never numbered it once. Now we started numbering this. We're five episodes in, and I'm already getting the wrong damn number. Well, we went to public colleges, Brian. We've <laughs> talked about that before. Yeah, true enough. Uh, if you want to contact the program and remind me of what number it is, it is DTMA Podcast. That is DTMA Podcast at gmail.com. Also, at Did That Make Air on Twitter, you can interact with the program, send us your thought for a big question, because frankly, we could use the help. I think that's very obvious. <laughs> a lot to talk about tonight, actually. Uh, for those of you who listen to the program, you've gotten accustomed to our big question. And this is a big question with a bunch of little questions underneath it, but we'll explore all of them. The big question this week is a good one. We'll also talk about bad date stories and uh, maybe a couple of idiots here and there. We, we won't talk about as many as we usually do, but we'll talk about some more idiots. But let me start. By setting up the big question. Now, I'll tell you the story, and then we'll ask the big question. This dateline, Weymouth, Massachusetts. Police say three people charged with playing a role in a Weymouth bank robbery did their research beforehand, using the Internet to search for tips on how to pull off a robbery and the consequences of getting caught. My first thought when you told me that was I would absolutely have done that. <laughs> <laughs> I would have. I would have done it. I guarantee you I would have done it. That is my has become my reflex action when put in places uh, where I don't know the answer. What are you going to do, ask, ask Jeeves? <laughs> you know, I don't know if I would still ask Jeeves. I never really did. <laughs> I, never really ma- I, I never really put Jeeves to use. I think, well, I, was, I think I was rolling with Yahoo at that point if it Jeeves wasn't Lycos. It might have been Lycos at that point before I had moved to the Yahoo search engine before we all, you know, submitted to the behemoth of Google. What about Bing? I use Bing from time to time. Do you use Bing? Yeah, I'm a not friend afraid of mine. Admit. Well, a friend of mine, <laughs> it was funny how a friend of mine was using it as a verb to people just to see because it would get their attention. <laughs> you know, something <laughs> something would come up and be like, hey, what movie was that where Gene Hackman was the, uh, you know, high school basketball coach? No, I don't know. You should Bing it. <laughs> and it just caught people <laughs> off guard so much. It was uh, you should try it actually. I'd highly recommend it. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably a nice little conversation starter at parties. You don't need Shazam anymore. It's like uh, who who sang that song about Sweet Home Alabama? Well, you ought to just bing that. You should bing that. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that that's what they were going for. That was something that I remember actually reading when you know Microsoft was trying to get into the search engine game, and this was when. Bing was all in development, and one of the things that, that was said by the technology expert that was interviewed in the piece, and that always cracks me up too, what, what, what do you do? Oh, I'm a technology expert. So what does that really mean? I'm an expert on technology. <laughs> okay, of course you are. So what, the, what they said is that Microsoft needs to develop a service that is going to be able to be used as a verb, and that is something that is very important, and the name needs to be perfect. Because Google has made it into the vocabulary as, well, you know, why don't you just Google it? That's become basically saying, why don't you look it up? So what you're saying is they have that site, uh, let me Google that for you.com or something like that. Are you going to start the let me bing that for you.com now? 
I was not aware of let me google that google that for you dot com um, I'm, maybe I'm just a little confused on the concept because if you go to that website <laughs> and then you type in what you need to find out <laughs> then you've gone to an extra website to find out the answer yeah that you You've you've Googled your uh, – oh, my head just exploded. Sorry. Do they have a Google search bar on their site? Is that They, they do. It is it is L, <laughs> lmgtfy.com. So shorten – let me Google that for you to lmgtfy.com. You can look at that on the internet machine. And... <laughs> the things you learn on this program, ladies and gentlemen. But So, so we got the bank robber. Who looked up how to rob the bank on the internets and how to escape and then what's going to happen if they get caught? Yeah, actually three bank robbers. Uh, Sarah McLeod, Robert Owens, and Daniel Murphy, no, not the Mets' second baseman, are scheduled to be arraigned Tuesday on charges connected to Friday morning's robbery. McLeod and Owens also face drug charges. Uh, police tracked McLeod and Owens to an address near the bank and arrested them hours later. Murphy, the alleged getaway driver, was arrested at another location. Investigators examined McLeod's computer and found searches for if you're going to rob a bank and what happens if you rob a bank. Remind me to never have my computer searched by anyone. <laughs> okay. Just the things that have managed to be typed into search bars on my computer just out of, you know, when you fall down some sort of rabbit hole for a few hours and you end up typing in the weirdest stuff and you're like, wait a second. This is not – yeah, that wouldn't that wouldn't reflect well on me were it found. I mean, it, it's it's – I remember looking at my phone at one point, you know, as I've mentioned on the show before, we have a couple of cats that we, we adopted earlier in the year from a, you know, from a rescue shelter. And right. my girlfriend, while she was at work, she would ask, like, hey, send me a picture. What are the cats doing? And I'd send her a picture. And I looked back at my phone and saw I had like 150 pictures of our cats. <laughs> and I looked like a total freak. The, uh, the wow. worst bunny hole, though, is the Wikipedia bunny hole. You go to look up one thing, and you start seeing all these other things that you want to learn more about, and like three hours later, you're sitting there, sweat dripping off your face, you know, you're dehydrated, and you're looking at like your 677th Wikipedia entry in a row, and you're just like, how the hell did this happen? Oh, Not man. that I've done Link that. Links within articles are just so dangerous. Well, that looks interesting. Maybe I should check that out. Yeah, it's like, oh, uh, Leonard Skinner played in uh, Jacksonville, Florida in 1974. Let's click the Jacksonville Wikipedia entry. Oh, let's look at the Jaguar. Yeah. Damn it. How did this happen? Oh, look at, check this out. It's a two-tone Wikipedia page. <laughs> By the way, uh, it says that the suspects were held over the weekend and it was not clear if they had lawyers. Maybe, you know, just like all those memes you the saw yesterday. Lawyers. Yeah, maybe they, maybe like those memes you saw yesterday with Columbus Day, all the, the some e-card thing where it's like, uh, to celebrate Columbus Day, I'm going to go to somebody's house and tell them that I live there. Now, all, this, all the stupid stuff that you saw. Har, har, har. Yeah, maybe they, were, maybe they were squatting in a bank. Maybe. You know, that's where the money is. You said it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yes. <laughs> the big question comes out of this, actually. The big question, how in the world did we become so reliant upon the Internet, upon technology, upon everything else to figure out anything in our lives anymore? Well, it, it's kind of a weird it's kind of a weird explanation. I mean, there are a bunch of ways that I think that we we have all been collectively pushed towards it. I mean, first of all, uh, you know, when new technology comes out, it usually is some way that it can make our lives easier once we figure out how to use the technology, right? Exactly. In in terms of things like personal computers, cell phones, things of that nature, uh, we figured out, hey, look, we can make our lives easier in some ways by using these 
pieces of technology. Of course, we always turn around and actually make our lives harder because then we pack more on our plate because we're like, hey, we can manage it all easier thanks to our computer and cell phone. But I digress. We won't get into that quite yet. I think the thing that happens is new technology comes out. It is pushed on us with a huge advertising push these days. So, I mean, all of these things spreading faster and faster across the country with the way the distribution systems and all of the technology when it comes to commerce has also evolved as well, not just technology in terms of you know computers or cell phones. So all of this stuff is in place to get you new products as fast as possible since they're going to be obsolete in four months anyway, right? <laughs> no, yeah, it's true. It, it is true. It's, it is not just a joke. It, it's funny, but it's not just a joke. So all of that stuff is in place for you to get that so you can have the four months where you're on the cutting edge of technology, right? And then they come out with something that can do something else for you, some other new thing that can take care of another issue in your life, and it is now handled by your phone. So then we have to go and get that and so on and so forth. So we are now completely dependent upon all of this technology to juggle all the things we've crammed in our lives because with each step of innovation also makes us lazier in a way because we assume, you know what, the computer can do that for me. My phone can do that for me. This automatically populates in my calendar now. I mean, I'm using a service where if I get an email from, uh, a, you know, from Southwest Airlines saying you're flying to Vegas for this basketball tournament, it'll automatically create something on my calendar telling me all of the flight information, where I'm sitting, if it applies for that airline, what hotel I'm at, and so on and so forth. All this stuff is done automatically, so we get lazy. And then also, if we didn't have the new technology in the first place, a lot of times we get it at work. It also adds uh, vocabulary to the lexicon. For instance, sure. if you're talking about the Samsung Galaxy, it. yeah, the uh, <laughs> the Samsung Galaxy Note 3 is another thing I was thinking about because that comes out. Uh, actually, I think it just came out. But they've called that a phablet, which is a hybrid of phone and tablet. If you had said the word phablet to somebody in 1980, you know, what kind of a look do you get? I don't know. I just I we don't need to keep combining these words. I really don't think we need to do it. I, I still am bothered by people saying ginormous. Yeah, I mean portmanteaus it, of words are, are a little bit much. Hey, check out the guesstimate. You mean estimate, the word we've used forever? <laughs> it's the same thing. Yeah, they they are exactly the same thing. An estimate and a guess. But instead of saying that one or the other, let's just go ahead and smash them all together. That's that's how vocabulary works. Right. When in Rome. <laughs> but the, the point you were making about all this technology that we have, I mean, I, I go to games all the time, and I know you do too, and, and you encounter people in press boxes, on press row, whatever else, and I'm guilty of this too, where they have a phone, a tablet, a laptop, all this other ridiculous crap that they have handy. I have business cards Still, I don't know why in the world I have a business card. I, sh I should just, you know, put it in an ICS format or something like that, and that way I can email it to people. But mm -hmm. I still have an actual printed business card that I carry so that, with me. That way, if you get something in your teeth, you can get it out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I can go to the press box buffet of Papa John's pizza and, and uh, you know, freshly popped stale popcorn, and uh, I can work that out of the old chiclets with a business card. It's always handy. Look, I understand that stadiums have to service a lot of, you know, patrons during a game. I don't understand why they have to pre-pop the bags of popcorn. Yeah, that's that's no good. They do that at Charlotte, although I have seen them popping some some new popcorn, at, actually, at the Panthers games. Uh, the one thing I will say, though, 
Apparently at the Vikings game this past weekend, their their press box halftime meal theme was salute to meat. I don't know what else they had in there, but it was salute to meat. I, I'm just amazed that they have a theme for their halftime meal. Yeah, you I mean, how awesome how awesome is covering the NFL? I got to get on that beat. Uh, well, considering the fact that I've been at NFL games at halftime and I've I've seen hot dogs and nachos at, at the half. Yeah, that's what, but still, it's free food. Yeah, exactly. It's, takes takes you back to the old days of hearing uh, stringers for the AP or whomever else griping about free food. Just brightens your day. You talk about all the technology that you see within a press box right now and how people have, you know, two, three, four devices sometimes, which is just kind of amazing to see the setup that people have going on around them. Um, But the desire for technology and the expectation of technology is very high. I mean, when Wi-Fi started to get in certain stadiums, if you went to a place where they didn't have Wi-Fi, it's like, wait a second, you don't have Wi-Fi? What? This is ridiculous. Do you have a stats monitor? Do you have a stats feed? You don't have a stats feed? What? <laughs> yeah. This is yep. ridiculous. You know, and you're just thinking to yourself, what is going on here? And, you know, all this technology is there. Just uh, the job got done just fine before that was all there. But because we have the expectation of being able to have the Wi-Fi there and being able to have all this data fed to us instead of having to enter it manually. Oh, my God, I can't believe they don't have this stuff. And it becomes a big deal. Well, two things that kind of cracked me up. First of all, last year at the Big South Tournament, and I I don't want to venture too far into talking about sports because we have another program for that, but I actually saw during some of the post-game pressers, I saw some of the media people holding up iPads, taking video during the presser so they could then upload that video almost immediately after they took it so you could have more of an instant uh, look at the post-game presser instead of having to wait for the 6 o'clock news or whatever. You'll recall before, you know, you would have to wait until the news sent it along via satellite link or drove it back to the station or whatever they did. Now you can see it in a little more real time. The other thing that, that tripped me out, I was watching a Hampton Inn commercial the other day, and they, they have, for whatever reason, they have all these people that are allegedly tweeting about Hampton Inn and everything and tweeting about uh, you know how great the, the free breakfast is and whatever else, and that's funny enough. But they show, Is this the college football commercial? Uh, I think. Where it's like college football fans on a trip, and it's all the photo. It's like photos, but it's kind of the they'll take three photos from the same thing. So if like two guys are like chest bumping, it'll show them start to chest bump, chest bump, and then like recoil from chest bump. Yeah, I think so. But the the one thing that I I laughed at the biggest out of that they showed a tweet where somebody was excited about free Wi-Fi at Hampton Inn, and I'm just like, wow, we get something that we've come to expect everywhere, and it's free. <laughs> it's just stuff like that trips me out. Yeah, well, you know, I wonder if they had free muffins from 8.45 to 9. <laughs> Warning, inside joke alert. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people probably saw that sign at that Marriott. But, you know, the the other thing, Brian, that, that happens with technology is once it's rolled out and it becomes more mainstream, then the expectation is not only that it's there and available for use, but also that you are going to use it. Exactly. We are consumers. We are a society of consumers. And so, therefore, since people know they have... All these consumers, they can come up with all these ridiculous products. It's still – now, I, I realize I should be out on my lawn throwing rocks at kids when I say this, but it's uh, it still kind of saddens me whenever I'm on a train, like the light rail train in Charlotte, and I'm, I'm coming back to – your shoulder. Yeah, from, uh, from Center City, Charlotte, and I see people sitting on the train, and they've got earbuds in, and you know they're watching a movie or whatever, and that, that kind of saddens me. I mean, I, I realize on a, on a plane, I get it, because you're going to be on a plane for you know three and a half, four hours. I get that, but – the train ride from Charlotte back to where 
I get onto the train is like 22 minutes. And if you can't be around people and be around society for 22 minutes, isn't that a little excessive? You know, I remember having an interesting moment while we were taking the rather lengthy bus ride from Coors Field to the Denver International Airport, since that is nowhere near Denver. And sitting on the media bus with the Padres, it was after a game, uh, you know, a Sunday getaway day, and I was sitting across the aisle from, from Dick Enberg, and I was chatting with him a little bit. And at one point in the bus ride, he just looked over at me and said, you know, imagine what this land was like 100 years ago. Buffalo would be all over the place in this land. And now we're driving out to an airport. And I never stop and think about those things. I never do. I'm usually focused on the next thing that's coming or I need to plan for this next game or we're flying to St. Louis next or whatever it might be. And it really kind of stopped me in my tracks. And I sat back in my seat and looked around. And for the last 10 minutes of the ride to the airport, I was trying to picture what do you think this land looked like 100 years ago? And it was an interesting exercise just because it was something that I never really would bother considering because most of the time I'm face down on my phone, you know sending terrible fantasy football trades to you or something, or, you know, I don't know, doing whatever it is that I do, you know, playing, I don't play words with friends, but, you know, something along those lines. Yeah, see, that's a fair point, because you know this about me. I'm I'm somebody who is constantly, I, I have to be engaged in thought about something. My mind never shuts down. It's it's constantly going one place or another, and it's it's very rare that I get a chance to just sit back and just completely mentally disconnect and just take in what's going on around me, um, mainly because I don't have the attention span for that, because technology has kind of ruined that for me. If, if I'm thinking about something and wondering, well, you know, how many yards did Warwick Dunn rush for in 1997? I can go get that answer. Uh, you know, so that's that's another thing that's kind of ruined me for it. But you bring up a good point, because for those who are not familiar with the, uh, the Denver geography, uh, <laughs> Denver International Airport is way out off of Pena Boulevard. It's like probably eight, nine miles from the interstate, and it's about, I don't know, 2022 from downtown Denver. Uh, it's not exactly the most convenient place in the world. So that's that's really funny when you brought that up about what, what Dick mentioned, because having been out there, he's got a point. I mean, there's still a lot of, for a big city, there's still a lot of undeveloped land in Denver, and, you know, I, I would still kind of find myself driving around out there, even with the radio on, listening to a football game or whatever else, I'd still kind of find myself just looking around going, you know, I wonder what the story is here. And and we don't seem all that interested in stories anymore. We don't seem all that interested in, in what uh, the genesis of a place or a thing was anymore. No, it's pretty much uh, just about, look, just make sure that I can't smell you getting high with the legal weed that we've just gotten in our state. <laughs> Isn't that an amazing story? Uh, yeah, that's that's a whole other thing, and, and you know that we talk all the time about uh, individual rights on this program, and you know what, whether you agree with it or whether you don't, that's that's a whole other thing. But you know, yeah, we're gonna go ahead and make this law, but we're gonna say we're gonna come up with this other law that will allow us to ignore the one that's already. Wait a minute, my head just exploded saying that. So I I don't know the whole thing too. I would I would say this about technology. Technology has also played to our worst fears, our worst impulses, our worst, uh, and don't necessarily take this word the wrong way, but our worst fetishes, not necessarily sexual, but other things. Um, Hot take. Yeah. I mean, it's, just think about this, and I'll, I'll keep this fairly clean. Let's just say you're a hypochondriac, and there are plenty of us out there. Let's just say you're a hypochondriac. 
you go to WebMD and you've got a pain in your side and you start looking at WebMD and you start seeing things like, you know, ulcers, cancer, death, all this other stuff. And you're like, oh, my God, I'm going to die in two seconds, all because of something you saw on a website. And so the ability to uh, to have all this technology at our fingertips is great, but also it plays into our darker side and kind of exacerbates hidden conditions that we might not have let uh, come to the fore 25, 30 years ago. We've mentioned before about the idea that you can find any voice that you want, and that's a perfect example of <laughs> the way that the Internet can work against you in a way. Right. It's something moving, – moving recently like I have, there have been a few things around this new place that I've needed to fix up, and it's been great in some cases where I can just go to YouTube and type in whatever repair I need to make and see like, hey, this is exactly what I do. I can see a video of it. I know exactly how I need to make this work and how far the measurement needs to be because they have the exact same model as I do and so on and so forth. And that's fantastic. At the same time, I didn't actually learn anything about how to be handy around the house or how to actually repair a dishwasher or whatever it might be. I just learned how to go and look on YouTube, and that is now instantly forgotten. And I haven't actually gotten smarter because of it. It's just gotten me through one situation. Yeah, well, it's like we can't make scrapbooks anymore. We, we go to Pinterest. We can't uh, you know, actually know how to cook anything anymore. We just pull up a recipe online and you know, go with it. We don't, we don't actually do any of the measurements or anything like that. We just say, well, okay, I'll just copy this recipe exactly. Um, we don't. Do you have a kit? Can we buy something that's prepackaged? Yeah, exactly. And the the other thing too, we don't experience a lot of things anymore because of the technology that's out there. Now let me let me just say this, and I know you're the same way. I'm a complete music dork. I I am the biggest music nerd out there. I I listen to everything from every genre you could ever imagine, all the way from you know Robert Johnson and Mushmouth Blues all the way to now, uh, although not as much now, obviously, and you used to have to actually go into a record store with hipsters and, and, you know, look around while people who, who have neck beards and who wear Converse and everything are, are hanging around you. Uh, and, you know, you have to have some guy come up to you and, and go, uh, yeah, that record really changed my life and stuff like that. Now you can kind of do all of your musical shopping anonymously on a couch. You can listen to 30 seconds of a song before you buy it. There's no mystery anymore. There's no, sitting down with a record and just kind of getting immersed in it anymore. It's it's always just, well, I'll just load up these particular MP3s and I'll I'll play them and they sound perfect and there's no, you know, indulgence in it whatsoever. I'll just play the song because I like it. It's kind of changed the way we, we consume music too, if you think about it. The idea of an album anymore is one that's kind of foreign to people. Yeah, very true. It's lo fi. Did you hear the Black Keys album? Oh no, but I heard I heard Lonely Boy and, um, you know, the other ones that are on the radio, so it's pretty cool. Well, oh, all right. Well, wouldn't you want to, like, hear the rest of their stuff? Uh, no? All right, all right. Well, that's, I mean, that's your choice. And I've done the same thing. I've absolutely cherry-picked songs that I want to hear, or downloaded singles, or just, okay, that's fine. That's, that's all I really want to hear from this guy. Oh, I don't really care about, I, I didn't care for the rest of what they did. But, you know... Even talking about music, I was going to say, did hipsters exist when record stores still existed? Or, or did, was there like a five-year cross-section maybe? <laughs> well, I mean, let's let's be fair. When record stores were still in vogue, uh, you had the feathered hairstyles and the uh, the T-shirts with the, with the sleeves with the three bands around each arm and, and uh, you know, the, the uh, decals on the front that would always peel off. So... <laughs> 
I mean, uh, you know, record stores were always an interesting place. It was always just so fun to go in there and, hey, uh, do you have the new record by – oh, gosh. You know, do you have the record by – the new record by Bush or something like that? Let's <laughs> say – I don't know. I'm just throwing out like a random popular – popular band from the 90s and it was always so fun to go to the front and ask like hey do you have this in and then get that great look of judgment (laughs) why do you listen to bush uh yeah i mean if you really want it it's over in the back left of the store but (laughs) yeah it's like you got you got to say uh yeah do you have the new creed record and they just kind of hiss at you they're like creed (laughs) of course you know that was perfectly justified but are you a marlins fan (laughs) <laughs> oh scott Stapp. gross the uh the other thing too about music and this this really kind of broke my heart to be quite honest with you. you you recall earlier this year george jones passed away and uh you know there are a lot of people who are not old country fans and if, if you're not that's fine i mean i i totally get it but it's it is part of our history it's part of americana and you know i've i've found myself because my grandfather was really big into you know, older country, not the not the current hat rock garbage where everybody sounds all alike and everything. But, you know, like he actually, truth. yeah, he uh, he brought me up on some of the, you know, some of the classics. And George Jones is obviously one of those classics. And I was talking to some people about George Jones and about what he meant to music. And I actually had somebody ask me, who's George Jones? And I just, you know, it was and you like, told him, why don't you bing it? Yeah, exactly. But uh, no, it's it's like all the life was sucked out of me because, you know, if you can't get it on an MP3 these days or if they don't have it at the iHeartRadio Music Festival or whatever other garbage there is out there, people don't know anything about anything anymore because there's no incentive to, you know, broaden your horizons at all. It's whatever the top 15 songs are that are played on the radio. And, you know, I think about somebody like George Jones, and this is kind of non sequitur, but so be it. He was one of those people, and there were a lot of people through musical history – who, you know, and, and again, they didn't have access to technology, so they couldn't clean up their records as much as a lot of guys these days do. But when he records a song like He Stopped Loving Her Today, which sold just bajillions of records, and, you know, he basically looked at it as a joke. He didn't like the record. He walked out of the final recording sessions and, so, and said, nobody will buy that morbid son of a bitch. And he sells all those copies of that record. And, and you think... If a guy who was that much of a genius couldn't see that in front of him now, you know, right as he's walking out of the, the final recording session, what do people think when they walk out of recording sessions these days with the, with the you know, tone-corrected, pitch-corrected schlock that they're turning out these days? What's their final thought process as they walk out of a studio? Is that me singing? <laughs> it sounds like me a little. It could be me. Sounds like maybe there's a little of me still in there that's like 12% me still singing on that record. I think that might be what they're thinking these days. I mean, and that's and that's the just the idea of of going back to listen to as much classic rock as I have over the last few years just has everything to do with the fact that I understand there were recording techniques then as well, but at the same time these people were playing the instruments. These people were singing. These people still had to hit the notes, you know. Well, the thing that uh, – There's something very appealing about that just because every track that comes out – yeah, you know, I've mentioned that I like the Black Keys before. But still, the amount of production that goes into their records is kind of incredible. And even yeah. when they have their, their tracks that are much more of the stripped-down version and stuff, the effects that they use to get their guitar tone and stuff are all – I mean there's a lot of production that goes into it. And 
you know, not that there wasn't thought that was going into the records in terms of classic rock. I'm not saying there wasn't, but it's just a different level of thought and trying to control every aspect of the sound, um, including trying to correct what are supposed mistakes within the sound of your own band. Well, I mean, two things I would say to that. First of all, uh, the the beginning of Sweet Home Alabama, where you hear Turn It Up, was a complete accident. Uh, that that wasn't supposed to make the final cut, and it did. Uh, and it's since become one of the more iconic lines in any record ever. But the other thing I would say, too, let's talk about somebody like a Ray Charles. And I, I think anybody who has any musical appreciation whatsoever realizes that Ray Charles was as close to a genius as we will ever have. I mean, Ray Charles did things across so many different genres that people now can never even come close to duplicating. But you go back and listen to a lot of his stuff from the 60s, and even with the remasters, and I'm, again, outing myself as a complete audio dork, even with the remasters, you can still go back and listen to those things and know they were recorded on 8-track machines and you know, occasionally on a 4-track even. And you can pick out all the individual tracks. You can pick out you know, the guitar track, the piano track, the vocal track, the backing track, all that stuff, you can still pick it out these days just listening to those recordings. And you listen to the stuff now, and it's just a jumbled mess because technology has just kind of made everything this, uh, you know, amalgam of sound. I mean, like, you know, the the Daft Punk and Pharrell record. You listen to that, there's no depth of sound in that song. It's It's just, you know, it's the same beat the entire song. It's you know, it's, there's just there's no depth to it, and I, I think that's part of another thing that we've lost in technology is the depth in music that those of us who are complete music nerds kind of came to love. I just remember what was it? Almost Famous, and I don't know if this might have been a deleted scene um, from this movie, but I remember the conversation where you know the guitarist Russell Hammond has a, a chat with the kid talking about how. It's the mistakes that make music unique, and that's what makes it great. Exactly. exactly. Talking about a Marvin Gaye record and how there's one little thing that's you know not in, in is not the same as the rest of the song, and that's what he remembers about that song. And I thought that was great because it's, it's little things that you know other people don't necessarily pick out that you might come to enjoy the most. And then you know we've made fun of. I have a side question about Florida Georgia Line that I need you to remind me of at some point. Okay. Um, but. You know, when you think about their song Cruise, it's four chords, the same four chords in the same order, the entire song. Chorus, verse, doesn't matter. It's the same four chords, just sl- strummed slightly differently at different times. Well, some people say about 60s country that a lot of it was the same three chords. And if you listen to some of it, yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, but, but in a lot of these cases, it's three chords for the verse and then three chords for the, you know, for the chorus or something like that. At least there was a little bit of change in the way that the song sounds. Yeah. That's just, look, here's a, here's a big drum beat and we stop playing guitar for a second, launch into the chorus, and then just start playing the same four chords more or less the same way. And, you know, this is not to say that simple songs can't be great and simple songs can't be very enjoyable. It's just an example of a modern-day song. Um, and not having the same kind of depth that you were talking about, but... I still go back to the computer and the technology, you know, the role that the technology playing in music where you can layer all of that sound and where it's not it's not necessarily a band coming together to create a sound. It's a producer having a vision and creating that sound for the band. Exactly. And that's why you see so many producers that are big time stars these days. I mean, granted, there were some producers, 
you know, long ago that were legendary producers. And, you know, you can look at somebody like Rick Rubin as one of those. I mean, Rick Rubin was was the producer emeritus in the 80s and 90s. I mean, look at every every Def Jam record that ever came out. Rick Rubin was behind just about every successful Def Jam record that ever came out. And, uh, you know, the, the history of rap is something I could talk about for seven hours on this program and won't. But, you know, you think of Billy Sherrill, you know, famous country producer, same thing. But you didn't have the same people who were, you know, the producers who were more famous than the people who actually sung or played the song. And we've kind of gotten into that these days. No, it is it is interesting, and we'll we'll get back to that main question here a little bit more because there's I mean it's a big topic. There's a lot to cover, but here's the side question I want to ask you, and this was something that my friend James Simon posted on his Facebook the other day. Okay, but I do want to ask you because I think you'll appreciate the question. Florida Georgia Line, the Nickelback of country music. That's a damn good comparison. I I will I will certainly allow that. <laughs> that is that's very good actually. You know, it's funny. I actually stopped at a rest stop on the Florida Georgia line. Oh boy! And, and of course, that you know got stuck in my head forever. But there's a picture on my Facebook of a school bus that is basically turned into a convertible. They rip the top off of it, and you know the the entire back is just wide wide ass open. I took that at that rest stop at the Florida Georgia line. So that tells you all you need to know about that area. Oh my! <laughs> oh gosh! You know. I, do you believe that we have any foresight when it comes to technology? Do you think that we're actually able to see – I think that, that companies start to look at what effect can this have if people start using it. But what I mean by a lack of foresight is, okay, once we get people using it, and that's, you know, that's our stated intention when we're launching a new product, be it you know, back when they were launching Windows 95 or whatever it might be. It could be an operating system, a piece of hardware, you name it. Do they actually have any sort of foresight about how we are completely crippled without our own man-made network anymore? I mean, does that matter? I, I know it doesn't to the corporations because they just want to make money, and that sounds so you know hippie episode of South Park about corporations. Um, <laughs> but I think you see my point. You know, there's no, there's really no care given to whether or not it kind of hurts our ability to actually you know, problem solve and deal with issues as human beings. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fair. You you look at the commercials for Windows 8 and, you know, it, it just it tells you how it organizes your life into these little cubes and all this other stuff. And, you know, it's it's really in under the guise of convenience. It's turning us all into reliant illiterates, essentially. Right. Absolutely. It is. I mean, what what happens when there's a power outage? You could go on Twitter – okay, if there's a power outage in another major city, you can go on Twitter and see people from that city posting about how bored they are because there's nothing they can plug in. Yeah, they, they sit in the corner and twitch because they're not getting Facebook updates. Right. Well, you know, maybe you could read a book or light a candle to read that book or spend some time with your family. Or, no, nope, we're going to just freak out now. There's nothing to do. The power's out. <laughs> no, isn't that isn't that a sad commentary though on our and i'm not saying that again i'm not excusing myself from it i went to indonesia on a vacation yet i was still carrying my phone with me and there were times where we were a little turned around and we're ducking into a starbucks to use their wi-fi so we can figure out okay well if we go up six blocks and then take a right we're going to find the place we're looking for 
It couldn't yeah, but, just be we're going to walk down the street and just you know whatever happens happens and we're going to enjoy being in this this place. No, we have to get where we planned. If you do online shopping in Indonesia, do you have to add to Jakarta? Uh, oh uh, hey, uh, I see what you did there. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, it's my uh, my completely stupid joke of the week. Well, we each get one, so yeah. I'm glad to hear that you've used yours up. I've already <laughs> used mine. I used mine up within like five minutes. I don't even remember what it was. That's It wasn't worth it. There's uh, there's another topic I wanted to get into because I know that you've got something that uh, do, we, can, do, we can – Do we have kind of have a conclusion? Um, Let's come back to it because okay. I, I, I want to get to this first because this also kind of plays into the big question a little bit. Oh. Uh, Dateline Spartanburg, South Carolina. Two people on a date were charged after a traffic stop in Spartanburg County, according to the deputy's report. Deputies said they were attempting to pull over a motorcycle on Friday for not having a license plate when a car tried to block them from getting behind the motorcycle. The deputy was eventually able to get behind the motorcycle, and the black Mercury merged into the deputy's lane, forcing him onto the curb to avoid a collision, according to the report. Deputies pulled over both vehicles and found the people had just finished a date, according to the report. Deputies searched for warrants on the driver, on the rider, rather, James Hopkins, 32, and found he had outstanding warrants for attempted murder and possession of a weapon during a violent crime. Deputies also said he had a gun on him at the time of the arrest. The driver of the car, Safira Johnson, 30, was charged with reckless driving, failure to yield, and hindering an officer in an arrest, according to jail records. Now, I'm going to go on record and say that that's probably one of their worst date stories that they have. You mentioned earlier today you had a bad date story, so I want oh, you to man. share with us the bad date story that you mentioned you had. Look, you know, just just for her sake, I'm going to keep some names out of this, and you know, I'm sure that some people will be disappointed that I do, but I'm sorry. What am I going to say? I have a little bit of compassion. Um, so I went out on a date with this girl. It was actually our second date. The first one went pretty well, and you know, it was really unfortunate because we had a great, great first date, and then I left town, and I wasn't able to see her again for about a week and a half because I think I went out of town for a road trip or something along those lines where I was going to be out of town for an extended amount of time for work. So I came back, and you know, I saw her when we got back, and in the middle of the second date, all of a sudden, uh, she name drops this, this big celebrity uh, name. It's an actress. And um, and did it in a way where she just mentioned her first name, and I had to follow up and be like, "Oh, uh, who?" And then she, you know, goes on, "Oh, yeah, this person. I was her nanny for three years in New York." And I was like, "Okay, all right. I had no idea, but that was quite a way to to tell me about it." And then where things got really off the rails were uh, when she started talking about working for this celebrity as their nanny and about how hard it was, and you didn't want to do too good a job because if you did too good a job, then you'd get fired. Because you know the celebrity didn't want you getting too close to her or closer to who her kids than her. Oh. And as this started going on, uh, a little crying started to happen. It was a very low level of crying. Wait, what? Yeah, she started to get very emotional, uh, remembering this time, and, and she said she really loved the kids, and uh, something must have happened. Um, but uh, she started to get a little emotional, and she kind of pulled herself together. And uh, as you can imagine, there's really nowhere to go from that point on a date. Uh, what, yeah. You, what do you do? Usually when they start crying and start getting a little bit uh, sideways like that, it's kind of tough to recover unless you're in a fairly extended relationship. If you're just dating somebody, that's really tough to uh, to rescue. Exactly. So uh, pretty much had nowhere to go. But that, but that was one of the most awkward things that happened, and it seemed like it came out of nowhere chatting having a good time all of a sudden she decides to name drop and then she got very sideways in the turn there and um hit the wall pretty good i think 
Yeah, my uh, my bad date story. I don't even know if I've told you this one. If if I have, please uh, pardon me. But I was in a class in college, and we uh, in winter term we had to come up with some kind of journalistic something. Uh, at you know at, at our school we had a uh, a one month winter term, and we had to come up with a journalistic idea for kind of like an expose or a paper or something like that. So we had. <laughs> And this was the dumb thing. We actually had things that were given to us as ideas that we pull out of a hat. Mine happened to be internet dating. Now, this was before Match.com and eHarmony and all these other things with with old creepy dudes tagging along with people on dates. This this was, you know, kind of old school. So I went, (laughs) and I'm ashamed to to admit this, but I went on a news group. If you remember news groups from however long ago. Sure do. I went on a news group. Uh, and you know, it was kind of people seeking people kind of thing. So I, uh, went on a news group and wound up talking to somebody who went to Appalachian state in North Carolina. Um, through the course of talking to her, she decided she wanted to come down and hang out. I had my buddy, Matt, who was at East Carolina and she had somebody else who wanted to date him. So Matt came up, uh, from East Carolina to hang out with me and we were going to go out on a double date with those two. So, they were planning to come down. We were hanging out in my room, you know, playing Sega or something. And, uh, you know, they were supposed to get there at, at 5. 5 turned into 6. 6 turned into 7. 7 turned into 8.30. Then they finally showed up. And, you know, we asked them what they wanted to do. And they're just like, I don't know. We've been driving. We don't really know if we want to do anything. And so what it eventually turned <laughs> – yeah. What it eventually turned into was them suggesting that we go to McDonald's. So – because apparently they were really hungry for McDonald's for whatever reason. We went to McDonald's, uh, <laughs> and then eight came back, and they're just like, "Yeah, um, we're gonna go ahead and go, because we we like don't feel good or something." <laughs> and and they just bailed, and I sat there playing Sega with Matt for most of the rest of the night. But I'm sitting there trying to write this paper and give a presentation on an online date that lasted like an hour and a half. And I had to turn this into a presentation that would make or break my grade for the class. That sounds really difficult because you're probably going to spend more time trying to create stuff that was worth writing in a paper than you would have on the actual date. And I, I just – first of all, how long is their drive? Um, like, I don't know, probably an hour and a half, something like that, okay. two hours. And how, and how long – so first of all, I love that they showed up three – and a half hours late, if I remember correctly. Yeah. <laughs> for yeah. a drive that took an hour and a half. Yeah, they said there was traffic, and I'm like, what? You live in Boone. There's no traffic in Boone. You people are nuts. Wait, wow. Okay, so you didn't just go on Google and just check what the traffic conditions were like? <laughs> oh, that's right. You couldn't. Should have binged oh my it. God, crazy, and she couldn't call you with her cell phone either. No, no. Oh, my gosh. How did you guys get through that day? See, this is the thing, though. I was not the only one that had bad date stories. Like, this was common back in that day. Like I say, it was before, you know, eHarmony and Match and all that stuff. You would go into a computer lab, and you would see probably three-quarters of the room sitting in there talking to their so-called boyfriend or a girlfriend. And I would just take a sample. I would go around and say, so, um, you know, you're talking to your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. Where do they live? Oh, uh, Pittsburgh. Los Angeles, 
you know, all this other kind of stuff. And that's that's kind of how online dating got started. People would meet each other on bulletin boards or, you know, uh, what was at the time IRC, which is like Internet Relay Chat and all this other Ugh. stuff. And, uh, you know... <laughs> people would, would meet each other in the goofiest places. And it's like, oh, yeah, I've never met this person, and they don't even know what I look like, but that's my boyfriend. That's my boyfriend, totally. <laughs> and, you know, of course, everybody at one point gets into a long-distance relationship, um, present company included. But the thing is, somebody told me this once about long-distance relationships, and it's, it's perfectly correct. I didn't believe it at the time, but this, I was told this like 15 years ago. With long-distance relationships, if one party or another isn't willing to move within six months, it's not going to work, period. And I, I kind of laughed it off when I first heard it, but that was absolutely correct. That was great wisdom. That sounds fair. I mean, it, the other thing, too, though, that's that's I'm trying to view your story through the, the lens of the times in the sense that Internet dating at that time was just something to be shunned for. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And you were, <laughs> you, you, don't, were, you didn't want to admit that unless somehow you hit the internet dating lottery where you actually have a girl <laughs> who, you know, doesn't have like an arm sticking out of her head or whatever you were afraid of, you know, one who actually sent you an accurate picture of herself. That might have been something enough to celebrate, I think, in those times. Yeah, in most cases, you were that, that awkward person back in the back corner of the computer lab talking to another awkward person back in the back corner of the computer lab. Now, I actually tried this uh, because my then roommate, for whatever reason, he was talking to a guy he went to high school with and, you know, trying to, for whatever reason, set me up. I don't even remember what it was. But he actually ended up setting me up with somebody who played volleyball at Duquesne University. So I was I was one of the few people who escaped out of it, luckily, because A, it wasn't that long of a drive, and B, she was pretty good looking. But you, you look at, you know, some of the stuff that came out of the dating scene from those days, and you would see the picture that was sent and then the actual, you know, real life product. Mm. And it was pretty hilarious because I, I remember somebody I went to school with who was dating somebody, you know, dating uh, somebody from somewhere else. I think it was like West Virginia. And <laughs> she calls me over and she's like, I'm going to send this picture to this this guy. Is this OK? And it's like this cropped shot from like, you know, the very bottom of her chin up. And you, you know how that works because they're trying to hide everything. And so it's, it's like, oh, hi, are you Janet? Oh, I see yeah. why you went with the headshot. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you would you would just you would see some of the worst stuff just trying to you know please don't let me run this guy off before I actually meet him kind of stuff. And you would see right. some of the most hilarious pictures. And people would call me over and ask me to like you know help them crop pictures and everything. And I'm just oh, like God. I am not getting you cyber laid. It's not happening. I thought that you were going to tell me that you ended up being like the uh, Columbo of uh, dating photos where people would call you over to investigate and say like, well, Brian, what do you think? Can it be trusted? It's <laughs> well, like, I don't the, know. Uh, it's just the head. It's, that's a recipe for disaster. It's like uh, the movie Amazon Women on the Moon. Um, Henry, uh, Henry Silva, I think, or whatever the character's name in there. Uh, there's there's a segment where it's called BS or not, except it's not actually BS. They, they use the actual word. But mm. it's all these different things through history where they're investigating things like they're investigating the Loch Ness Monster. And they're like, is it BS or not? And it shows like the Loch Ness Monster walking through the streets of, of England in 1770s or something like that. You know, just, you kind of think about that. You you look at those pictures that people use for online dating and it's like, is that BS or not? And in most cases, it was absolute BS. 
it, it's just as we've had this overarching discussion about technology, it's just interesting to think about how we're not only reliant on this technology to make our lives easier, but some people have become reliant on technology to shape their entire world as they know it. Very true. I mean, I, I can think probably 20 people I know, at least, who have met their spouse, significant other, whatever else, on Yahoo Personals or eHarmony or Match or whatever else. And I, there's no judgment from me about that or anything. I mean, what, whatever you need to do to meet the person that you're supposed to be with is fine. But it's it's just kind of funny how we've evolved as a society that way, where, you know, before people would go out and they would, uh, you know, attempt to find people in bars or, or like your grandmother always told you, you'll find a nice boy in church and all this other stuff. Now, you know, you, you spend the day surfing personal sites or, you know, God forbid, Craigslist or something like that, trying to find somebody to be with. It's just, it's funny how, you know, technology has also changed the dating world and, you know, some of the other things that come along with dating, which we won't talk about on the program. I know you know the show Doomsday Preppers, right? I do. You got to admit that the people on that show are a bit extreme. And uh, I think a bit. that's putting it I think that's putting it nicely. Okay? Yeah. At the same time, do I understand the concerns that they have about the structure of our lives as we know it getting knocked off what is you know knocked out of its comfort zone? Any kind of extended time without power, water, Things that we have gone, come to take complete, you know, completely for granted. The idea of that is one that, that is actually pretty scary. I mean, the idea of where's food going to come from if any kind of catastrophic event happened. I get it. I mean, when you start talking about the way that technology runs everything in our lives, sure, there are things like backup generators in some case, but still, we're completely dependent upon utilities in order to make our lives happen. You know and what it all comes down to? Uh, What's I'll, that? I'll give you the answer. We, oh we as a society and as humans, we are control freaks. And if we don't have technology at our fingertips, if we don't have all these things that get us through our daily lives, we've lost control. Therefore, we panic. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I see I see your rationale for coming up with that. I still just maintain that, you know, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of hardworking people in this country, and that's – but at the same time – I do feel like in a lot of ways, technology is preyed on our desire to be lazy. And it's a desire that's easier than ever because we have so many things at our fingertips. You know, we don't need to think about where our next meal is coming from other than thinking which restaurant do I want to go to or what do I want to go, you know, get from the 20 aisles at the supermarket or things of that nature. We're not considering the basic parts of life. We're thinking about, okay, well, you know, does this girl like me? What's my boss say about the project I just turned in? And all of a sudden, our focus goes away from the basics of living our lives into this other world that we've created to basically keep ourselves entertained. Yeah, very true. Fair enough. I mean, you know, Matrix. you think, well, you think about my, my half brother had his his uh, high school reunion this past week. And you think about what an ordeal planning a high school reunion used to be. You used to have to, you know, call the school and see if they had updated addresses for people, send letters around, all this other stuff. Now. You can just throw something out there on Facebook, and you've got a reunion planned in an hour. It's just kind yeah. of weird how all that happened. And that's you know, and that's and that's a very good side to technology, and and 
you know, they're, I've gotten in touch with a lot of people thanks to Facebook or you find them online somewhere and you drop them an email. God, I haven't talked to you in 10 years. And how, how are you doing? And, oh, you're married now. That's great. And, and those, those stories are great. I, I, I love having them. But I always still keep it, – it really troubles me when there's some sort of power outage or something like that. And granted, you know, living in Southern California, you don't get too many of those unless someone throws the wrong switch in Gila Bend that one fateful day. <laughs> That was still one of the most <laughs> surreal days of television that I will ever be a part of where we were in Arizona broadcasting a Padre game, and all of the power was out for basically Southern California from San Diego, from the Mexico border all the way up to Orange County and parts of Los Angeles. And, of course, there were massive power outages in Mexico as well. And I remember asking the people you know, at our station, are we going to be doing the game? And they said, "Oh yeah, yeah, we're on backup generators at Master Control. We're going to do the game, and we'll, you know, pass it on to all the people that need to get it." And, and I said, well, "What about our home market?" Um, I don't know if anyone's going to be able to see it in San Diego, but we're going to go ahead and do the game. And I was, wow, okay, this is weird. So there is no power in San Diego County yet. We're doing this game mostly for San Diego County, and then giving updates on what is happening where. If you've just gotten power back after several hours without it and decided the first thing I'm going to do is turn on the Padre game, we've got an update for you. <laughs> That's all we got? One GD hit? Uh, it was it was so <laughs> weird. And then trying to figure out, well, how are we going to get information out of San Diego about what's going on? Because there's no power. I, uh, I do have to say, though, you mentioned Orange County. I, I would guess that outage sent uh, millions of 16-year-old girls scrambling to their sobs and outies to uh, charge their phones via the uh, cigarette Yeah, board. that's true. We're just going to drive around for a while. And maybe, <laughs> I'll get, maybe I'll get more. Oh, no, the gas stations are closed. What am I going to do? i got to tweet stuff. <laughs> we, um, we love to follow up on stories on this program, and, and this, oh. is kind, this is kind of along the same lines, but... Dateline Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, we talked about last week, we talked about a professional snuggler. Well, now we have a copycat business. See, again, it's just exactly what we're saying about technology. Once you've learned an easier way to do it, we'll just start doing that over and over again. Don't come up with your own idea. Just steal someone else's business. It's ridiculous. The, uh, the doors of a new business set to open today will remain closed until city concerns have been satisfied. So what's the business? Why the concern? It's called the Snuggle House, and it offers cuddles and hugs from professional snugglers. The, uh, please, tell me, please tell me they outline in this one what makes a professional snuggler. Uh, kind of. The, uh, <laughs> God! The, the, um, the temporary site for the place says, This is an exciting opportunity to receive the benefits of touch therapy in a non-sexual way and feel connected in a disconnected digital world. See, there you go. It's all about synergy. I don't disagree with their premise, but still, wouldn't you – isn't the meaning behind something like cuddling, you know, having a relationship with the other person? Yeah, you'd think. But yeah. they, they go on to, to talk about this a little more. They say one session may be all you require from time to time, or you can use snuggling as a staple to assist you in getting through a rough time. Our staff will be attentive, courteous, polite, loving, and available to you within the boundaries of this new profession. Can't you just rely on, you know, alcohol or other street drugs like the rest of us in this country? <laughs> I mean, this is, look, this is not cool. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get through life 
<laughs> on Paxil and whiskey. I don't need snuggling to get, yeah. to get me through the day. Seriously. Of exactly. course, I, I don't get through them. Uh, a single snuggle costs $60 and lasts one hour. A double cuddle can be yours for 120 And an overnight session, hey costs 425 uh, They could not confirm whether the overnight session included both snuggling and cuddling. Uh, you know, I didn't – I just used the words interchangeably. I, I always just assumed they were more or less the same thing. That's what I thought, too, but apparently it's two separate things. Wow. See, you know, thanks to this technology, I've learned something new today. <laughs> Thank you, interwebs. Yep. Uh, however, the Snuggle House's assistant manager, Emily Noon, told a local reporter that clients sign contracts, and any contract between a client and a snuggler has enforced boundaries, quote, intimate non-sexual touch, unquote, according to Noon. Uh, she also explained that their business model is based on a successful snuggery in Rochester, New York, which we covered on the program. Uh, she also claims that cuddling businesses have popped up in California and Colorado. Uh, please tell me, <laughs> please tell me that people heat up before they snuggle, please. Oh, no doubt. I, I just, jeez. Uh, I, I, I can only imagine that people are doing that and um, mass, but the thing that, that I just like I, that line seems like a very blurry one. Um, you know, no, no, I'm not going to bring up the song because we don't hey, need to hey. talk about it. No, <laughs> stop that. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <sighs> so the idea, I, I understand you know, human touch is good for all of us. We respond to it, releases hormones, and so on and so forth, and chemicals in the body, and that's that's all well and good. But. You know, how are you going to draw that line, and then how do you enforce it in a way that, you know, I, I mean, we were talking about date stories earlier, Brian, in our in our single days. Yeah. Um, I mean, come on, wouldn't you just be like, no, 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 we'll just, you know, we'll just lay here, just, you know, we'll cuddle for a little bit, and, you know, yeah, that's no, that's fine, that's cool, that's you know, that's yeah, that's all that needs to happen, and that was just step one. <laughs> it was just like, all right, so I got her here. Now we just need to start, you know. So you start pushing the issue a little bit. She'll cave. And I know that that sounds uh, horribly rapey the way that I said it. I, 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 that, that really was not. Kobe. I kind of came out all wrong. Um, I mean, I've been shut down trying to do that, too, plenty of times. But you know what I'm saying? I, 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 this program brought to you by Rahipnol. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Good thing I have some lawyers in my life after saying dumb stuff like that. No, let, let me let me clean that up for you a little bit. Uh, most guys, if they're going to uh, be involved in snuggling, usually there's some kind of ulterior motive. Usually they want it to lead somewhere else. They're they're not content uh, to you know just stop it at that point. They they usually want to uh, you know complete the act, as it were, uh, consensually, mind you. Mm-hmm. Is that that fair? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> back to the uh, the snuggle house. <laughs> Uh, there's so many people who don't have a significant other in their lives that just need to be held, Noon says. Uh, we're just college students that know how important it is to have physical touch in our lives. Uh, she also mentions that all snuggle rooms are equipped with surveillance cameras and panic buttons. <laughs> what? <laughs> they have panic buttons in snuggle rooms. Uh, the, the security cost has to be pretty high. You think. 
you'd think, I mean, if you have the equivalent of, a, of, a, of an electronic rape whistle in every room, I mean, that, that would probably have to be a little bit pricey, you'd think. Yeah, I think the problem comes when the knockoff places come about. You know, it's like you've got the snuggery and now you've got the snuggle house. And you mentioned video cameras and panic buttons in these rooms. If you go to a place and there's just a Vuvuzela on the nightstand and that's the <laughs> panic button, that would be a place I don't. I would feel weird about working there. <laughs> or if they just had a photo of the Vuvuzela app to bring back that story. Or if they pepper sprayed people like that Michigan guy the other day. Oh man. <laughs> That picture is unreal. Yeah, if you don't believe us, uh, we're not. Again, we're not going to get into sports, but it, go look. There's a picture from Saturday's Michigan game where a guy from uh, who was wearing a Michigan jersey wound up just wearing a bottle of pepper spray right in the eyes. I mean, it's it's tough to look at. There have been a couple times where I've seen that, and that's something that in the truck we're never going to put out over the air. Yeah, you know, don't show the guy running across the field, and we don't want to give him the attention, and so on and so forth. But you better believe that in the truck we're enjoying it. Oh yeah, of course. You've, you've so, always got one monitor on it at all times. Right, right. Run that back. That was funny. Look at the way you made that security <laughs> guard miss, and then got hit by the other guy, um, or something. And you know, <laughs> oh man, I I remember seeing a guy though. It was the end of a game, toward the end of a Padres season. Padres were out of it, I believe. You know, I'm just playing the odds by saying that. Shop. And uh, he was a shirtless guy who looked like he spent much time lifting the weights. And uh, he was handcuffed already by police, and still strong enough that he was kind of jostling the people around who you know who weren't getting a real good grip on him, trying to restrain him. So they just went right to the mace. And let him have it from each from each side, pretty much. And um, man, uh, it took that very tough gentleman and made him whimper. By the way, speaking of shocker, uh, I, I don't know if you saw me tweet this the other day, but I was watching the uh, Carolina Minnesota game, and Ron Winter was refereeing, and he went to signal third down, and he did so by giving the shocker. He took his thumb and his third finger and put them together and held up the two and then a space and then the one, so he gave the shocker for third down. Well, I'm sure that Wichita State was very excited. <laughs> so were the fraternities at Arizona State. Oh, wait, I've yes. said too much. No, um, I, you know, I always find that, no, that's a pitchfork. No. No? no. <laughs> not, not really. That's actually, you know that that's something else. Uh, the By the way, speaking of uh, copycat snuggeries, uh, I'm, I'm waiting for uh, Bone Thugs and, Ar and Harmony to open up Snuggish Thuggish Bone. I'll, I'll go to that. <laughs> Oh God, um, it's a, it's a cheap laugh, but I'm happy for uh, that. Would, that would uh, that's good. That's that's going way back. That's uh, yeah. Um, Noon also said that quote Matthew is our creator, is our owner, and he's really taking care of everything for us. We have Matthew, and he's taking care of us. Unquote. The Matthew to whom she's referring is Matthew Hurtado of Lone Rock, Wisconsin, whose current book is advertised online as a biography of a sex addicted misfit who becomes a millionaire. He's also listed on the Wisconsin Department of Revenue's website of tax delinquents who owe the state more than ten grand, according to federal bankruptcy court records. Hurtado has filed for bankruptcy twice since 2002. Quote, we're just college students that know how important it is to have physical touch in our lives. Unquote. College students who make a million dollars and have ten gur in back taxes and file for two <laughs> bankruptcies in ten years? Yeah, something like that. That's a long time in college, man, even for Wisconsin. 
So as we wind down the program, I know we're a little bit short on time. So we, we tend to come up with one moron each week that doesn't really tie into any of the stories that we're telling. So I'm going to let you have the honor of choosing which moron we highlight as we wind down the program. You can choose from a plane-related moron, a car-related moron, or an exploding housewares-related moron. Exploding housewares? Yes. Uh, how how do I not choose that? I mean, the other, like, I see morons on the plane or on the roads whenever I travel. So exploding housewares, though, that sounds unique. <laughs> uh, yeah. He cowers before the porcelain bomb. A Brooklyn man was seriously injured by an exploding toilet in his co-op and remains so traumatized by the blown-up potty that he uses a rope to flush from a safe distance outside the bathroom. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, that's sad. Uh, Michelle Pierre was briefly knocked unconscious and woke up covered in blood when his toilet exploded. Gosh, that sounds awful. Uh, yeah, wow. Um, he was one of four tenants injured October 2nd at the Caton Tower development in Flatbush by powerful blasts from their bowls, according to the New York Daily News. Quote, I'm afraid to flush the toilet right now, said Pierre, 58, who was so punished by the porcelain, that's their copy, that oh, he needed God. 30 stitches to close shrapnel wounds on his head, arm, and legs. This sounds like friggin' Call of Duty or something. This doesn't sound like taking a piss. What's, what's going on with this? All you do in Call of all you hurt in Call of Duty is your thumbs. <laughs> uh, quote: It sounds silly, but I'm still scared. He said, "Maybe someday it goes away, but right now I'm in pain." Unquote. Pierre said his peace of mind has been shattered, like the throne in his ninth floor flat on Ocean Parkway. The again, the amount of hack and kitsch that makes it into these cop pieces of copy is just unbelievable. Uh, yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Um, the water had been turned off that day in the 19-story building while a plumbing contractor installed a black backflow perform, uh, prevention valve. Around 11 p.m., Pierre checked to see if the pressurized flush valve toilet was working and pulled the handle. He'll never forget what happened next. And that, that sounds like a lead for, like, the 11 o'clock news or something. A man pulls a handle in a toilet, and you won't believe what happens next. You know, that's that's exactly Gosh. what that sounds like. Yes, it does. <laughs> wonder if we need to get Joyce Evans on that. Uh, <laughs> if you thought Breaking Bad was something, wait until you see this guy's toilet Breaking Bad. If you uh, thought the finale of Breaking Bad was explosive, <laughs> you should find out what happened in this apartment building. Uh, <laughs> the IT specialist was treated in Methodist Hospital after firefighters responded to a utility emergency in the building. Three others in the building were injured in similar incidents. Uh, quote, I remember there was a boom and the thing exploded in my face, unquote. Sounds like a sorority party. Uh, mm -hmm. Pierre said, I was blinded and pieces flew all over the place. <laughs> wow. Um, <laughs> experts... I feel so bad for this guy, I'm not making a surrender joke. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, speaking of that, I, uh, I had seen something earlier today. Uh, my buddy Matt, who uh, runs 95 Sports, was talking about, <laughs> about Bruce Springsteen's No Surrender. And he had, he had seen where somebody had commented on, on some site about that song and you know that's that's an iconic song it's it's whether you like springsteen's politics or you don't it's still an iconic song and somebody was commenting about how uh they liked glee's version better because it was so much more emotional and i'm just like you need to be put in a time capsule and buried for a hundred years 
I, I, I'm trying to remember the statistic, but it's something like other than Elvis, the cast of Glee has been responsible for more downloads than any other artist, or something like it was something ridiculous like that. And I know I'm sure I'm getting it wrong, but just the idea that I could say something like that and not think it was completely crazy because I remember hearing it as actual fact is kind of disturbing. That's what happens when you give airtime to Jane Lynch. Look, I don't have a problem with Jane Lynch per se, but I, you know, some of the stuff that I've read, like uh, the Foo, them asking the Foo Fighters, "Hey, can we use one of your songs in Glee?" and the Foo Fighters said no, and they got very upset with the Foo Fighters, criticizing them, and you know, why do you not share, and why do you not let other artists enjoy the, you know, the, enjoy the art, or you know, and all the the rationale that Glee said, and they said, "Look, why why do we have to give you the right to do it? We choose not to. That is our right as the artist, right?" Yes, it is. And somehow, you know, basically it became Glee being upset and feeling like they were excluding Glee for some reason. It's like, you're a TV show singing covers. See, to me, can you just can you just dial it back a little? Jane Lynch should have quit while she was uh, Reese Bobby's ex-wife. Well, I mean, that was a great role. You know, where else do you get to slap kids around? <laughs> um. <laughs> um. His lawyer, Pierre's lawyer, Sanford Rubenstein, <laughs> yeah, said, quote, Toilets are supposed to flush, not explode. This victim is entitled to damages for the serious injuries he sustained through no fault of his own. Now, listen to the cause of this. Hold on. I'd like to say that Sanford must have gone to law school to learn that fl- toilets are to flush, not explode. <laughs> Thank you very much for that statement. You big dummy. Uh, yeah. Experts said a buildup of air pressure in the pipes during the repairs is the likely culprit. Mm. When the water was turned back on, the pressure caused a burst of air that came through the pipe, said Teresa Racked, a lawyer for the co-op board. It was totally unexpected. We're looking into whether this was preventable or a one-time fluke. Uh, Pierre, an IT specialist for a government agency, says he doesn't know when he can go to the bathroom in peace again. Quote, I can't stop thinking about it every time I look at the bowl, unquote, Pierre said, who was relieved that he wasn't sitting down during that fateful flush. That's awful. I, I do feel very badly for the guy because, you know, we all have those moments where we need to go and we'd like to be able to relax and just let things happen, you know? Yeah. And not have to be thinking our way through it, you know? It's like the uh, uptight. That, that can't help, you know? Well, it's bad enough, you know, when when you're visiting places and you see these news stories about, like, snakes coming up through toilets and stuff like that. That's uh, bad enough. Yep. But then that, uh, yeah, no. You know, there are a lot of things about Manhattan and, you know, New York and the five boroughs that are amazing. I, I love to visit that city. There are things that you see there that you cannot see in other cities. Um, the way that the city is 24 hours makes for some amazing stretches of time. Uh, in that area. At the same time, some of the stuff that's involved of actually living there um, is stuff I really just can't imagine. I can't imagine living in a you know a 19 store building. I really can't. I can't imagine. Um, I can't imagine listening to Alicia Keys warbling through a song about it all the damn time. <laughs> oh, sorry. Did I say that out loud? Something something Gypsy Cab. Something something Papaya Dog or whatever it is. I don't know. Something Sabaro. That that reminds me of of a the uh, office. Yeah, the office where yeah. it's like this is my favorite, my New, favorite York, uh, New York restaurant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um But you know what I'm saying. I, I just I, I can't. I really can't imagine 
just that life when you're packed into such small a space. And I understand you're, you're making that trade off for what is available in that metropolitan area, but it's just a, I, I couldn't imagine that being my everyday reality. So as we uh, as we wind down the program, I'll let you choose if if you want to cover the uh, the plane based moron or the car based moron. We can. If you don't, it won't break my heart. I'll just, I'll let you make that call. I don't know. I'd say that we we've got about four minutes here before we actually have a hard out of uh, seven thirty Pacific here tonight. Um, so we've got about four minutes. Well, three minutes left in the program as it's twenty seven after the hour here on Did That Make Air. <laughs> I figured <laughs> I figured you'd like the radio drop. Thirty so thirty three till the top. So we've got we've got three minutes left in the program here, Brian. I don't know what kind of time we have left. How's our clock look? Uh, well, we can rush through this pretty quickly. A uh, a drunken passenger who stripped naked on an airport tarmac and challenged the flight captain to a fight has been tasered by police. I bet he has. The uh, burly, tattooed 52-year-old was caught on video stripping to his black underpants, shouting and uh, remonstrating, let's see, a UK word, after, mm-hmm. after stepping off an EasyJet flight from Malta to Manchester. He uh, then removed his underpants and received a hard slap across his face by his female companion before putting his clothes back on. So she put him in line? Was that the end of the confrontation? Uh, No, that was not at all the end of the confrontation. Uh, The incident was caught on video. The man who has not been identified but spoke with a Manchester accent, whatever that is, uh, also urinated on the side of the Terminal 1 building at Manchester Airport and was later tasered and arrested by police. Uh, the trouble for, reportedly first began mid-flight when the man became abusive and started swearing at fellow passengers, and the captain left the cockpit to speak to him. After being slapped following the plane's landing, he put his clothes back on before going to collect his baggage, but police caught up with him. They tried to control him, but stunned him using a dry taser where the gun is held against the target to cause shock and pain when he refused to cooperate. He was then arrested and given an on-the-spot fine. Uh, a spokesman for Greater, Ma- Greater Manchester Police said, quote, at 9.50 a.m. on Thursday, 26 September 2013, police were called to Terminal 1 arrivals of Manchester Airport following reports a man was drunk and being abusive to passengers on a flight from Malta. As he left the plane, he took off his clothes and urinated against the wall. A 52-year-old man was stunned using an electronic stun gun and arrested on suspicion of being drunk and disorderly in a public place. He was issued a fixed penalty notice, unquote. I have a very simple explanation for this. When I was okay. on vacation in Indonesia, um, Met a British couple that uh, we became very friendly with. My girlfriend and I became very friendly with, and they live in Cambridge and own a pub there. And I remember saying, you know, I would love to visit England. I would love to, to come visit you guys sometime. That would be great. And their response to me was, why? <laughs> no, no, you don't want to do that. Let's figure out another place where maybe we could meet up there, and then you could come visit us while we're in another country or something. You don't want to come to England. And those are people that live there. So um, I would be upset if I were returning to Manchester from Malta myself, I guess. Yeah, fair enough. But still, is it enough to, uh, you know, to piss on the side of a terminal building and get tased and everything else? Was this the same day where both Manchester United and Manchester City lost their Premier League games? Uh, I don't know. We need to bing that. Yeah, I'm going to have to do that. 26 September 2013. I don't know. I'll look into it real quick. We don't have much time, so we'll have to find out. Help me, interwebs. You're my only hope. Yeah. <laughs> so as we wind down the program, and, and Ed tries to find out if that was indeed the day that uh, both Manchester sides lost, um, just to, to tie up everything that uh, you know that we were commenting about, we were talking about that bank robbery and about people looking up instructions on that bank robbery. I was watching Dragnet earlier today from like 1967. It just happened to be on, and we had to find out what sentences people got for crimes at the end of a 30-minute program. 
And now we can just find it out in 30 seconds and then get arrested because our Google search or whatever search tracks us back to it. Right. No, that's actually, that's very true. In fact, um, yeah, you're going to get in trouble for that. If you're looking at it, then that's uh, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. Uh, it might be coming up against the wire here. I don't know if I'm going to be able to find this in time. It was the 26th, you said? Yeah, 26th of September of 2013. No, 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 no that's, I, he doesn't have a good, a good excuse. There were no Premier League fixtures that day. Uh, uh, however, that previous weekend, uh, Manchester City beat United the previous uh, Sunday. So maybe he's a United fan and just couldn't bear the thought of having to face all his City city uh, rooting friends. <laughs> yeah, that, that wasn't the, uh, <laughs> the United fan we know, hopefully. No, I don't think so. I don't think it was. <laughs> On that note, uh, let's go ahead and bring the program to a close. This has been Did That Make Air, Episode 6. He's Ed Barnes. I'm Brian Lomer. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you back here next week. Same time, same channel. Uh, and until next week, if you don't feel like binging us, you can just lycos us or something like that. See you next week.